This resource combines expositional sermons and lectures from the classroom of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary to help equip listeners for the work of the ministry. Our Lord, thank you for the great privilege to be together, to be as one body, as your people, hoping and desiring with all our hearts that you can talk to our hearts because we want to see you, we want to hear from you. We, we love you and we want to be faithful. So please help us to understand what you want from us today in this precious text and helping me, Lord, to be faithful to your truth and helping in order to preach clear what you say in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning I, I have picked this wonderful text in Exodus 34, verse 1 to 10. And I want to... Uh, share with you this sermon that I have titled The Extraordinary Self-Portrait of God. In painting, and I I was thinking this morning why I love painting so much, and my my grandfather that he passed away like 10 years ago, he was an artist, and uh, in the the city where he was born, there's a place, a special place that have his name on that, and it's a great privilege. So now, now I know why I always thinking on painting and, and techniques of that because that is in my blood and my history. But in painting, there's a technique known as, known as self-portrait. And that begins in the Renaissance and consists of a painter portraying himself, trying to show something about him that maybe the people could not know but they want to express through that painting. The interesting thing about self-portraits is that, as one expert have said, they possess a beauty that is not that of beauty, but of the psychological perspective of, a, of the one that is portrayed there. It is a representation of the personality and the vanity of the individual. The reason behind some of these self-portrait, well-known that we know in history, uh, could be diverse. The painter wants to reaffirm their presence and make his intentions known to the people that see that painting. Sometimes some of them, uh, they try to make a legacy of themselves, portraying themselves in order that everybody could know about them even when the, the years passing. There is some very famous people that portray themselves. For example, Albert Durer, who is considered the first painter obsessed with his own image, he portrayed himself, listen to this, as Jesus Christ. That's, that's terrible, but you can see that what we are saying. He's, he's trying to express something about him that you cannot know because he don't look like Jesus Christ, but he's trying to say something about that. Obviously, something really wrong. Another example could be Da Vinci. He portrayed himself as an old man with a white beard, and he painted that that portrait when he was John. So, you you don't look like that. What what do you want to show with that? And some of the experts said that he was trying to show himself as a philosopher, you know, like a very intelligent man, and even when he was young. Another one was Van Gogh and Picasso. The Picasso example is really interesting because he uh, portrayed himself in blue colors. And the people that know about his you know, painting and, and trajectory, they said that he was painting that portrait when he was uh, passing for a very sad moment in his life. So that is trying to show some melancholic, melancholical times in his life. So that is, that is a very interesting thing. In a, in a self-portrait, you are not just looking what you are seeing with your eyes, but what the painter wants to show you 
because you cannot see what is in his soul, but he's trying to explain you that through what he's trying to do with this painting. So in our text this morning, we have a beautiful and extraordinary self-portrait of our Lord. And in the same way, we are not just seeing what we can see with our eyes, but this is the the one that is painting who is trying to show us something that maybe we cannot see with, with our own eyes, but it's what he understand, what he is that he's trying to show us through this beautiful and extraordinary self-portrait. And this is the result of the request that Moses was asking in Exodus 33:18 when he asked, please show me your glory. So that is exact in their context. And what the Lord is doing in Exodus 34 is answering what Moses was asking. Show me your glory. And now the Lord will do that. And we'll do that for our good in order to understand better what he wanted that we to see in him. Please, let's see this text in three uh, headings. The number one will be the context of God's self-portrait that will be from the verses one to five. Second place, we will see the proclamation of God's self-portrait that will be six and seven. And finally, we'll see the, resu- the resulting perspective of God's self-portrait, verse eight to 10. Let's begin seeing in first place, the context of God's self-portrait, and that will be verse one to five. I will read again, and then I will just uh, pointing out some of the uh, special things in what we can think and meditate this morning. In verse 1 to 5, our text said, And the Lord said unto Moses, Let two tables of stone be made like unto the former tables, and I will write upon the tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breast. So prepare yourself for the morning, and go up, go out up early to Mount Sinai, and there present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. And let no man go up with thee, neither let any man be seen in all the mountain. Let neither sheep or oxen graze before that mount. So Moses made two tables of stone like the former, and rose up early in the morning, and went up to Mount Mount Sinai, as the Lord commanded him, taking the two tables of stone in his hand. And the Lord came down in the cloud and was there with him while he called on the name of the Lord. The first words of this text said, And the Lord said unto Moses. These words of God to Moses are the result of the conversation they that they had in chapter 33, which is the result of something that happened in chapter 32 and the context of that passage. And please, let me remind you, uh, Pastor John do it very well, but I'm trying to remind you in the context of what we will see today. The people of Israel have received this gracious and glorious invitation from the Lord that they will come and they will be his people and he will be their God. So when they cross the Red Sea and, and the Lord called Moses to be in the cloud with him in order to show him all the details of how a, a people that will be the people of God must be and, and what is the things that they will need to do in order to be that people. And so he was revealing all the details about tabernacles, feast the priest's best man, and everything. But then the people of Israel commit a huge sin before the Lord. So the Lord stopped this conversation with Moses and sent Moses to stop the people because what they were doing was really terrible in, in, in his eyes. So in consequence of this, the covenant was broken and the people of Israel uh, were judged by the Lord. So you can imagine with all this uh, wrath of the Lord looking to them with this, a lot of sin among them, many of them were dying. Many of them uh, 
were killed by others that uh, said, we will go with the Lord and against the enemies of the Lord. You remember that very sad story? But then Moses began to, to plea and say to the Lord, please forgive your people. Please don't do this. You are, this is your people. This is the people that you call in your name. What the other people will say about us or about you. And he began this plea asking to the Lord, please do not destroy the people of your covenant. And he's here working as a mediator, asking the Lord to forgive the sin of the people. So in Exodus 33, I like to say, I, I have the privilege to preach all this uh, book in our church for two years and a half. And every week was, you know, reminding what we saw in the last the last sermon. And I, I told to, to our people, this is like when a disaster happened outside. You can imagine in your home, uh, there's a, I don't know, a, a tornado outside. Everybody's inside the home waiting that until everything happened and finished. And then next day you open the window or see outside. Maybe you will not see your car there or the tree in front of your house is not there anymore. You're just preparing to see something that you know that the things will be not the same because something terrible happened outside. This is in the way we can understand Exodus 33. They are just looking through the window because the Lord, they know that they, they do something really wrong and the Lord was judging them. So they just opened the door and, and the window and tried to see what is there. And Moses is saying, please forgive them. Could you, could you give them another opportunity? Could you be their God again? Because they understand that the things will be not the same. So in Exodus 33, Moses asked to the Lord, please, please show me your glory and restore the covenant with your people. So Exodus 34, that is our text, is the result or is the consequence of what the, what Moses asked to the Lord in order to show him that the commun uh, communion with the people of Israel was restored even with this big sin. So in Exodus 34, we see four things that show that the Lord has restored this covenant with the people and he's doing again what he was doing uh, before this Terrible sin. So he asked, he do four things that show us that he was restoring the covenant. For example, in the first, in the verses one to four, he give orders to Moses to come to the mountain and, you know, and take two tables of stone in order to come again. That show us that he was restoring what, what happened and he was trying to do it again. In second, the second thing we can see that show us that he was restoring the communion with them was that he meeting with Moses in the mountain and he proclaimed his name saying, I am the Lord and this is what I want. This, the third thing in chapter 34 is that he gave instructions to Moses of what the people need to do in order to be again in peace with him. That's verse 10 to 28. And then we saw in the last part of the, of the chapter, in verses 29 to 35, that the glory of God was reflecting in the face of Moses. So he need to uh, uh, put something in his face because the people was afraid. But all of that is just the answer. I am restoring our communion. We will have a covenant again. So it is, it is a wonderful text. It is a wonderful reminder of what the Lord is doing here. And in the middle of all this context that I have to uh, tell you, we found our, this portrait that is uh, the important thing in our sermon this morning. This self-portrait that is part of a God, God of mercy showing to his people, to sinful people, that he will restore the communion. So verses 1 to 5 are important because it is the ratification of God that he will restore the covenant with the people in spite of their wickedness and iniquity. So the Lord asked Moses to prepare himself to receive from the Lord the restoration of the broken covenant. So then we have in our passage 
three things that Moses need to do in order to do this preparation uh, to receive the covenant. The first thing was he need to prepare two tables as the one that he broke in order to show that the tables uh, were be written again by the Lord and showing that they have a communion with them again. This is very important to understand. In, in chapter 32, when Moses broke these stones, that was not something sinful in his own, but he do that showing that the covenant was broken. So right now, giving at two tables again was showing that that was a preparation that he need to do because the Lord will write again what he do in the past. In second, the second thing that he asked that he need to prepare is he say that he need to be there. Moses need to be there in the morning. And that is very interesting expression because this reveal that he need to be in a preparation of his soul, like in holiness, reverence, preparing himself to talk to the Lord and knowing that the Lord will say something that he need to show and, and show to the people and tell them because he is restoring the covenant. The third thing that we can see is that he said, and go up early to Mount Sinai and there present yourself to be on the top of the mountain. But he said, but nobody else could be there. Not animals, not every anybody. And that is a reminder that in this special situation with the Lord is talking to his people and, and revealing to his people, he is showing that there is a great distance between God and men. And when God, this God of holiness, is talking to men, the men need to understand what is his position before our Lord. So this is wonderful to remember that it's an an important reminder for us. Who is our Lord? The Lord that we will see in the next text, revealing himself in this portrait. Finally, Moses, the text said that Moses do what the Lord uh, asked him to do. And he went to the mountain and the Lord come down to him. He said that the Lord descend in the cloud. Brothers and sisters, it is amazing to think in this context about our Lord. We are not talking about just uh, that he's great and he's uh, not like us. We are talking of our Lord in the middle of sinful, a sinful situation. A, a perfect situation that he can just say, I would not love them anymore and I will destroy them because I'm holy. And he is holy. But in this context, it's a reminder that any contact with us, any way that he's close to us is through condescendation. He's condescendence to us. He come and he came down like in this cloud and reveal himself because we are not able to go up and see him or trying to do something that he could receive from us. This is what the doctrine of the covenant means. It's not because something in us, it's not because we have something to, to, to give to him that he's interesting to receive. It's because he's great. It's because he's that God that is sitting on high, looking from there to what is happening in earth and feeling this mercy and grace among people that do not deserve. This is our Lord. We are so blessed to have a Lord like the one we have. In second place, we can see now the proclamation of God's self-portrait, and that's verse 6 to 7. Let me read it again and point in here some things that I want to share with you. Then the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, and plenteous in loving kindness and truth, who keeps mercy for thousands, who forgive in iniquity and transgression and sin, and will not hold the guilty guiltless, who punish the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children on the third and fourth generation. Let me point in here. Something's very important in this portrait. First, 
the need for God's self-portrait. Brothers, what I mean here is that God's self-portrait is something necessary for us. For Because if God do not reveal himself to us, we will not be able to know him. God is revealing from the beginning, and that's what he has been showing through his word and through the nature, that he's revealing himself to men from the beginning for the purpose of being known among men. God has revealed himself through the things that are made in a general way to all men in all ages, all the time, in general concepts of his greatness and glory. No one, because of this, no one is excuses on account of this revelation. Everybody know the Lord in a general way. Everybody know here you are in the midst of a beautiful landscape. And I was listening to your voice while we were singing and seeing outside our windows and doors here. It is wonderful to see our Lord here and around us because he is revealing himself through all this general revelation. So the Lord from the beginning have been showing that he exists, that he have all these attributes that the people need to know and need to worship him because of that. But God have revealed himself in a special or supernatural revelation in order to show to men his character and his redemptive plan. The Lord have been revealing himself in order that we can know him. So when we talk about a, a portrait from the Lord, we are talking about something that is a need for any man, especially in this generation, especially when people is talking things about the Lord and saying, in my view, God is this way. In my view, I think God cannot be like that. But it's not important what we think. He has revealed himself in order that we can know him in the way he is and the way he wants to be known by us. So it's it's very important to understand that we are in this need of this God self-portrait. So, dear brothers and sisters and people that is visiting us today, it's very important to understand that what the Lord will say right now is something that is an important need, not just for the people that is coming for the first time, but for the people that believe the gospel and need to rem remember all the time, who is this God that we are serving and loving? The second thing I want to point out here, it's the present reality of God's self-portrait. What I mean with this, in the text said, then the Lord passed before him. That expression reminds us that this vision is a transitory, limited, but still a glorious vision of the Lord. We must remember the infinite distance between the creator and the creation. For this reason, our knowledge of God will always be limited but our capacity as creatures. However, the vision of God that we have at this time is still limited by our remnant sin that affects our understanding of his glory. It's amazing to think that in this uh, narrative of what is happening, said that he was passing, he was not stopping. Like when you, when you can see something stop, in, you know, in a, in a stop motion or you just see very clear and you can see the details. But when you see something that is moving in front of your eyes, you can see and you know what you're seeing, but you cannot see all the details because it's passing. And that is the idea I want to point at, uh, point in here. Moses is seen to the Lord, but it's not seeing all the details, all the glory because he will not survive if something like that happened. He was just looking to this vision that is passing and listen to this voice. And this is a reminder us that that is the way we know our Lord in our lives as creatures. We cannot understand in the perfect way that he understands himself because we can't. The, the finite could not hold the infinity in, in, in the mind or we cannot express with our mouth any word, any 
uh, expression could express in a complete way what the Lord is. So what we can say is just what he has revealed. And we need to understand that that is something for us as creatures in order to understand him. It's still true knowledge. It's still something that we can talk and, and worship the Lord with that knowledge. But it's knowledge as creatures because he's not like us. Even when we are like him, he's not like us. And we cannot define him or just say everything about him because it is impossible for finite people like us. So in this sense, it is a good reminder that even this portrait that we are reading is just something in a way of creature that the Lord has revealed in order that his creatures could understand. The day will come when our limitations by sin, not as creatures, we'll be creatures forever, but, uh, but the limitations by sin will be removed and we will see our God through the glorious face of our Lord Jesus Christ, still as creatures, but without sin now. And that is very important because it's not just because we are creatures, but we are creatures in a sinful situation. And sometimes our hearts, our souls, are moving our understanding of what the Lord is. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's happening always the same in our lives. What I mean is when we leave some things or we are suffering some things, sometimes our heart is sending to our mind some ideas of what is the Lord or what is happening here with the Lord. And maybe that could change because of our sin. But the day will come that we will not have that anymore. So because of this sinful situation and condition that we are right now, we need to ask our Lord, please help us. Help us to see this portrait and open our eyes in order to do not hear what our heart is saying, but what you are revealing of yourself. And help me to believe in what you are saying is true about you. And this is something important to understand. So we are seeing the need of this God self-portrait the present reality of God's self-portrait. But now, let me, before the content of this self-portrait, let me talk to you a little bit about a contrast with this God's self-portrait. What I mean with this? In Exodus, we already have uh, something that is very similar with, with what happened in Exodus 34. In Exodus 19, when the Lord is uh, inviting the people to come and be with him in the mountain because he will celebrate this covenant with them. I will be your God and you will be my people. All that expression is connected with a lot of details that show us a very clear contrast between Exodus 19 in that occasion and the occasion we have in Exodus 34. In Exodus 19, we saw fear, glory, Lightning, sounds, noise, and that was incredible. The Lord said to the people, to Moses, call to the people to come at that day when you hear, you know, the sound. But when the day comes, the people say to Moses, please say to the Lord that he can talk to you. And, and then you can tell us whatever he wants that we can do, and we will do it. But please tell him that we cannot go there because this is too terrible for us. If somebody will see or hear to this, we'll die. And the interesting thing here is when, when Moses is uh, counting this again to the sons of this generation of Israelites, he said, and your, far, and your parents do it well. I said, what? The Lord is inviting them. And they said, no, we will not go. Please go, Moses. We will stay here. And then the Lord said, and they did it well. What does it mean? Well, that that was the purpose of all that lightning and noise and power. They need to understand that they are not in front a little God. Right. There is a there is a eternal distinction. There is something that they need to understand. You need a mediator. You cannot come like that in front of me. So so the goal was you know was fulfilled. They understood. They said Moses, please go you. We cannot go directly to him. But all that, all that fear and all that power and all, all that vision 
is not the same one we have here in Exodus 34. Why not? Because here he is and he will be always the same God. But now in the midst of the people misery, his merciful character has is more clear in front of our eyes. In Exodus 34, he's not trying to show, I am the Lord that you cannot come and touch or talk. He's showing, I am the merciful God. The first one was to show them their position. Right now in Exodus 34, they know very clear what is their position. They're looking through the window because they know that they don't deserve nothing from the Lord because of their sin. But the Lord is saying, be in peace. I want to show you my mercy. This is what I am. And one of the great things here, brothers, is that we are not talking about different gods. It's the same God. The same God with different purpose and the same God trying to show him to a, a people in a different situation, something that they need to understand and to know. It's so great for us to be this morning talking about this God's portrait because we are people in the middle of our uh, miseries, understanding that we need this merciful God too. Amen. Let's talk about the content of this God's self-portrait. We can group the things that the Lord is saying about himself here in three parts or three important parts. The number one will be his authority and independence. And that will be in, in verse six. Then we can see the second part, his goodness. And he talk about his goodness. But in third place, he talk about his holiness. So there is three things that he's saying about himself and in many words and attributes, but we can uh, put in, in groups like this. His authority and independence, his goodness, and his holiness. Let's talk about the first one, his authority and independence. This we can see from the two words that begin this uh, great vision that Moses is having and listened to. The first two words are these. Are the Lord, the Lord. In Spanish and in, in English, we have uh, some version of the Bible, some translations that just use the word Lord, and we think it's, it's a good way to do it. But here the word is the word Jehovah, or in Spanish, Jehovah, that means the name that the Lord used when he's talking about his relationship or his covenantal uh, relationship with his people. This we can see very um, in a very clear way when we see, for example, in Genesis 1, when he's talking about the creation in a general way, he the, the word to use it there is just Elohim. But then when he begins his relationship with man and he create man and he give man these orders and this covenant, the name that appears in that context is always Jehovah Elohim, Yahovah Elohim. And that he's using this word, his name, the word of his authority. When in the revelation we see all this use of this name, it's always implying his acity. That means that the Lord is from himself. He's not from anything outside him. He's from himself. This is very important when we see uh, the word existence came from, you know, ex, that something outside and existence, that means uh, the vein of something. Lord, the Lord have not existence in that sense because his existence is not from something outside him, but from him. So that means he do not, he, he could be independent in every single way. He's free in every single way because he do not depends of anything outside him. So when he used this expression, he's always talking about this authority. He is the Lord. Everything came from him, from his hand, but he came from no one. So he have the authority, the right to ask or to say things because he's Jehovah. 
He's the one that came from himself. At the same time, it's not just this authority or existence in himself, but it's the name that he used for his personal covenantal relationship with others. So when he used the word Yehovah, he's using that he's not just the creator of the word, but he's the God of the covenant. Moses have already known him by, his, by this name, Exodus 3 and 4. You remember the, the story when he's, uh, the Lord is talking to him, but then he asked, and if somebody asked me, if the people asked me, who sent you? What, what I will say? Say that I am sent to you. I am. So that's the same root, the same idea, the one that do not depend on anything, the, the God that is the only one. And he know that name. He, he, he understand that name. But the difference between Exodus three and four here is that his proclamation of their, of their right to claim and to do what he wants is now focused not in, I am the Lord and take my people outside Egypt. But now is he using this authority to say, I am the Lord. I am the one that do not depend on anyone. And I forgive to the one I want forgive. And I don't need to give any explanation to anybody. If I want to be merciful, I will be merciful because I am Jehovah. That's the way he's using the name here. It is amazing to think that. That Lord that in many passages of the Old Testament, sometimes he signed what he said. And tell them that I will do this, this, this that day said Jehovah. It's like putting his name there in order to show, I will do what I will say. I am the Lord of that could do whatever I'm promised. But now he's taking the right and he's putting his name next to the word mercy. You can imagine that you are not uh, worthy of this and maybe you are right about that. But I do not, I am not, uh, Depending of anyone to say that I will forgive the one that I want forgive. And this is what he's saying here. It's amazing that that holy name, powerful name, authority name is using him to show that he want to show mercy. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. As an ancient biblical commentary has said, his greatness and his goodness illustrate and compensate each other. This the terror of his greatness show frighten us. We are told how God, how good he is. And lest we show both of his goodness, we are told how great he is. He is great and he is merciful. And he used his name in order to show I am the Lord. In second place, we can see his goodness. And God used many words to make his goodness known to us. As if he is trying to make it evident, evident before our eyes that he is good. It is as if he is trying to make it evident before our eyes that he is good. This is not a mere human reputation or synonyms, but inspired expressions to teach us the greatest of his goodness. He used different words. For example, compassionate. And this indicate his tender compassion, like the one that have the father for his, his kids. It, it is interesting that it, this is the first thing to be known for the context of the men of their state of condemnation. The Lord, when he revealed himself, he do not begin with his holiness. That is very interesting. He's holy. And we will say that because that is part of his self uh, portrait. But when he begin this list of attributes and trying to show who he is, he begin with this kindness. And he said that he have compassion. At the same time, he talked about that he's merciful, merciful. He's generous in his kindness to his creatures. He delights to do them good. It is not from anything in them, but from his infinite goodness.
goodness. It's not because the creatures have uh, the, the creatures have uh, something uh, worthy of the love or the mercy of the Lord, but it's because His goodness, His merciful heart, that He can do good to all of them. It said it's slow to anger or passion. That means that he delays the execution of his justice and he offering openly his mercies to all these condemned men. He's delaying the execution of his justice. That's very important to understand. That's what means that he's, that he have compassion, mercy, love, passion. But then, it said it's abundant in mercy and truth. I am uh, on purpose doing a translation from our Spanish version of what he said in order that you can see, you know, the, the meaning in a more uh, clear understanding. Abundant. This have the idea of a spring that have many waters. There is mercy for all. This abundant in truth has to do with his faithfulness to fulfill his covenant. His faithfulness to them was never questioned. He has been merciful. He has been truth to the covenant. And when he says something, he always do what he said that he will do. And that is part of that he's a God merciful and abundant in mercy and truth. It said too that He's the one who keeps mercy for thousands. Any of us could understand what does it mean, thousands, generations, because we could just think in 40, 50, 80, maybe 100 years, and, and a very good man could say, this man lived 80 years and he always said what he said he will do. But the Lord is saying, generations and generations and generations he will do mercy and he will apply what he say he will do. And it's, the time is not a problem for him. He will be faithful and mercy for thousands. And finally, he said, he's the one who forgive iniquity, transgressions and sin. This is the ultimate expression of his goodness in connection with his holiness and his righteousness. How great is his goodness. He is the Lord that forgives sin. And that is the way that he has expressed his goodness in the more extreme and big way that we can understand. How could be, how could be a holy God doing something like this for people, sinful people like us? It's because of his goodness. The third part that we can see in this self-portrait is his holiness. And we can see these with the words that he will not hold the guilty, guiltless, who punish the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children, children to the third and fourth generation. And this is something that we have heard many times in the Bible, many times in the Revelation, because it's talking of who is the Lord. In the same way that he show his mercy and he show his love and his goodness to everybody, at the same time, always is said that he is the one that is holy. And there's one day when he will do his justice among everybody who commit iniquity. So that is something very important in our understanding. Because right now that we are going to the last part in order to understand how to put all this together, we need to understand that this self-portrait is complete. It's complete because we can see for in one side the, the goodness and that he's, uh, he have passion and love and mercy. But at the same time, he's the God of holiness. And especially in, in the days that we are living right now, when they are trying to do their own imagined image of God, saying that he's uh, the God of love and he loved the way that the people love each other, no matter what doesn't mean. That is not the Lord of the Bible. That is not the Lord of what we are talking about here. He is revealing himself, yes, as mercy. And not just as mercy. He's saying that because he's the Lord, he can do mercy. 
And nobody can rebuke him or say, why you are doing that? Because he's the Lord. But at the same time, the same mercy, the same love, the same way that he treats his creatures with love and passion. He's saying that he's holy and he will not hold the guilt guiltless. There's one day when he will reveal his justice. And he will put everything in the correct place. And that is important to understand today, not just for the preaching of the gospel, but because that of because we are believers and we need to understand what is the Lord that will come in to serve and worship here. He is the same. And even when he's showing different emphasis in this context, he is the same and he has not changed. In third and last place this morning, let me show you the resulting perspective of God's self-portrait. Verse 8 and 9. And Moses has it and bowed himself to the ground and worship, but say, but said, if now, O Lord, I have found favor in thy sight, let the Lord now go in the midst of us, though the people be stiff-necked and forgive us our iniquity and our sin and take us for thy possession. The text said that Moses has it and bowed himself to the ground and worshiped. This is the inevitable result of seeing clearly who God is. Our way of understanding him change. And this is what happened in the life of men that, and the same thing that happened with Job, for example. Job have one idea of what the Lord was. And when we read the first uh, chapter of his book, he's actually uh, rebuking the, the people that come, his friends talking and saying, oh, maybe you are like this because you commit sin. Maybe you have secret sin or something like that. And Job was saying, I'm protecting himself. No, I have not do that. I'm a, I'm a, a man that is walking in justice. I'm not do that. And sometimes looks like Job is trying to, uh, not saying directly, but something is wrong here. And I am not the one who is wrong. Because I'm not doing the things wrong. I'm doing the things right. I'm trying to be faithful. And I, I, I understand what you're saying, but this is not the case with me. I'm not, I don't have secret sin. But then we see a incredible change in the book of Job when he's rebuked by this last and younger friend. And then the Lord revealed himself. And the same job that I was talking like, uh, I will say and listen to me and this is what the Lord. Then he's saying, I would not open my mouth anymore. Please teach me that I don't know anything. I just hear something about you, but actually I do not understand you. Could you please reveal and teach me? I will be here being quiet and listen to you. And this is exactly what happened here. I told you in the beginning that in chapter 33, Moses is in a, in a position of a mediator. And actually he's asking the Lord, but in one moment he's saying something like this. Lord, come on. Come on. Be merciful. Be merciful. I know that you're holy, but could you try to be a little merciful here? Sounds like that. Like he's trying to show or, or teach something to the Lord. But then when he see this picture, of the Lord Jehovah saying, I am the merciful one. In other words, Moses, if you have little mercy, it's because of me. If you have mercy for these people and you're trying to do good to these people, it's because that is something that you learn from me. I am the one that is merciful here. And it's amazing to think in this way because sometimes we, we think that we need to protect 
the reality of who is the Lord and try to protect his name in front of other people saying, yeah, he's, he's not that bad. You know, it's like, like, and sometimes it's really sad because we're in the positions in our minds of that kind of very dear woman trying to protect the reputation, uh, rep, reputation of her husband that is very angry and, you know, have borrowed attitude and said, Oh, he's, he's hungry. He, Forgive him, please. He, 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 he will come later and you will see that he's great. He's just like that now. Sometimes we are like that when we think about God in front of the people and what the people is saying. And the reason we are like that is because we have not seen very clear this portrait. Because when we see clear this portrait, anything good, anything merciful, anything great that we can say or think, it's rooted in what he is and what he has revealed to us. He's the one that is merciful. He's the one that is doing good to everybody. He's the one that is good and have compassion for the people that do not deserve anything. Sometimes in our theological understanding, it's like in our minds, the idea of God has changed and we are like, we need to preach the gospel. And if they do not receive, they will just need to think, okay, this is the providence of the Lord. This is his sovereignty. We are fine with that. We are preaching the gospel. The Lord will do. This is a sinful humanity. But when you see this self-portrait, everything change. Everything change. We are pleading to the people because the Lord is what who teaches us that. We plead our kids, our children, please repent them. Believe in our Lord. This is the time you, you will not be unguilty when you will be in front of him because you are here many times. And do not say, this is not the time, daddy. I, I understand the gospel. I know what you mean, but, but today is not the day. Today is the day. And I plead you, please, please believe. And that is the way that we learn how to live because of we understand who is our Lord. How to see the people that is in this world just with a very bad heart and like a rock. And they do not love anything. And they are talking badly about everything. We can just feel compassion for them because that is the way that our Lord is. And when we understand that, we can change and we can show to this word, who is our Lord. We should speak of God in the same way he has intended to reveal himself. Although we recognize the hardened word in which we live, still we should not try to show God in a different way than he wants to be seen and known for everybody. Let me close this morning with Three applications of what we have seen here. Number one, brothers and sisters, we need this self-portrait of God because of the need of worship Him and live before His eyes every day. We need to be sure that we are not worshiping the one true and living God according to our idea or maybe committing uh, idolatry because we are worship another God. And all the one that have believed in Jesus Christ known the Lord, that's the promise of the new covenant. But at the same time, this knowledge of the Lord need to be uh, growing and growing, returning to what the Bible said that he is and trying to understand better this God that we know. We, we know in a salvation way. We know in this basic way. But we need to grow on that. And because we are called to worship him every day, we need to understand correctly who he is. And it's amazing when we think on that, we can have more words of pray and, and, and um, a clear, clear mind understanding what to say because we can think in his compassion. Could you think 
in moments of your life that he have shown compassion to you in the more death, death way? Could you remember when you was just sitting outside and open the door or the window to see the disaster that you know that you deserve? And then when you hear is just, I am the Lord and I do mercy to whom I want do mercy. When we understand that way, we can just worship him all the time. And our mouth could be full of all these words and expressions and, re and remembers of uh, what he has done for us all these years in all these situations when we have been very unfaithful, but he has been always faithful to us and to the covenant. Brothers and sisters, When we can see this self-portrait of God, we can just go and worship him in the way he has revealed himself. But at the same time, it's in the, in the way we need to live in front of or before his eyes. We need to live in the way he wants us to be. And this is amazing to think when we think that we are the image of the creator and in Jesus Christ, This self-portrait is something in a reality that we can see and we can listen to that. And when you talk about compassion, you can read the Gospels and say, Oh, now I understand what doesn't mean this compassion. Oh, I am merciful. And you read the one of the chapters of the Gospel of John and you can see, Oh, I understand what doesn't mean to be merciful. Because in Jesus Christ, this self-portrait is clear for us. And that is the goal of our lives, to be like him. So because of that, we need this self-portrait of God. In second place, we need this self-portrait of God to clear our eyes in the middle of this sad and suffering, full of suffering world that we live. Sometimes, dear brothers, when we are passing difficult situations, when we are living in moments that we think that maybe everything has changed, we need to remember that the Lord is always the same. And we need to do not listen to what our eyes are saying, but we need to believe what the Bible is always saying about God. Because even in the worst of the situations, The Bible is still saying, I am the Lord, the Lord merciful. In the middle of the, of the passing away of people that we love, my dad passed away two years ago, and I still miss him every day. Let me tell you this. Thursday evening, our very loved pet, Sasha, was... Uh, How do you say that in English? Uh, giving birth when you have the babies? Yeah. So little doggies. So I was doing a class, but then I saw a very sad face in my kids. And they said, Daddy, we need you. So I need to stop the class and go there to see what happened. So one of the puppies, that's a, one of the puppies was really sick. And we tried to help, you know, and, and tried to do, but then just the puppy died. And that was a good time with my kids to talk about this because my son, Jorjito, he's 10 years old. He's a very kind and, you know, he's, he's a precious kid. It's not just because of my kid, okay? But he's, he's a precious. And, uh, and I, I heard from his voice saying something like this. Why you take his life? Why you do that? You know, I... I understand that he was talking to God. So I came to his, to his bed and said, could you repeat what you were saying? My kid, I want to teach you here. Said, I don't, I don't understand why we need to suffer in this, you know, as a kid. And I said, well, you need to understand something. No matter what happened or what is the situation or what, how deep or no matter nothing, The Lord is always the same. 
And even when we don't understand, he's still the same. So then I realized that he was connecting that with my, the death of my dad. So then I talked to him about that. And then he realized and said, Daddy, when you pass away, I don't want to be that day. But if that happened, I will praise the Lord the same way you praise when my grandpa passed away. And we think that is a little story in a little context, but that's exactly what happened with us every day as adults going and doing things and then sometimes thinking, maybe the Lord has changed. Maybe his mercy is not the same as it used to be. Maybe, maybe he's not the same one because I don't understand what is happening here. But this is the reality of why we need this self-portrait because we need to put this thing in our eyes in order to be clear of what we are seeing because he is always the same. The Psalm 34, 8 said that taste and see that the Lord is good. And that say always the same, no matter if it's raining or not. That Psalms always said the Lord is good. And we can praise him and we can clean our mind when we read passages like Exodus 34 to remind us he is the same. He's the same when we feel that we don't deserve to be loved by him. He's the same when we lost our hope. He's the same when we are fighting with our sins and we begin to to lose our spiritual strength because we think like maybe something changed. We need to return there and read again. He is the same. And third and last place, we need this self-portrait of God to proclaim his name on earth. We need to show him in the way that he wants to be known. And this is very important brothers and sisters, especially in churches like our churches, where we love to preach about the, this sovereignty, grace, and, and, and to see what is happening in the world and, and to see how the people is talking badly about God and, and this uh, God that loves everybody and all of that. But sometimes we feel the temptation to just show one part of the gospel. And, and I can tell you that is, have been a great problem in our people, for our people in Latin America, that when they came to the doctrine of grace, they don't, they just know the last part of this self-portrait. The holiness, the holiness, the holiness. And that is a need. Of course, that is a need. And we need to show that because this word in the way they are talking about God. But that is not the complete picture of what the Lord is. And we need to remember there is a lot of churches suffering because they just can sit down there and praising the Lord, but they thinking always he's a, he's just the, the God of holiness. But, but actually this picture is open to remind us that we are, we receive this invitation all the time to come and to see his mercy and to live his mercy and to remember that it's just for his mercy. And we need to preach that gospel but with a complete picture. The Lord is calling sinners and the Lord will call sin by its name, but the Lord is calling with mercy and he forgive if somebody believe and repent. So I just want to close today saying that if you are here and you are a believer, I encourage you brother and sister don't stop to see this beautiful picture and reminding to yourself, this is our Lord. This is our Savior. This is the one that we love and worship. But if you are not a believer, I want to let you know this. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God that has revealed himself. And you need to understand that in the word, sometimes the God that you are listening to or what you are uh, listening is, is not the one that we read here. His arms are open and waiting 
There is a fountain that is uh, flowing of grace that everybody who is thirsty that can come. But you need to understand that is not something that we can just wait for that. I have three kids and I need to repeat this every day to them. It's not about the doctrine of election. It's not about the doctrine of predestination or the Lord have not done what I need that he do in my heart because our sinful heart could be trying always to hide even uh, in the Lord and saying, oh, you are the one that are not doing what you need to do. I'm ready, but you need to do it. No, if you are ready, you need to come now. You need to come today because he said that everybody who comes to him, he will welcome them and receive them. So I uh, call you to believe in the Lord. Even if you are growing in this precious Christian family, do not think that today is not the day because this God of mercy is a God of holiness too. And he's calling you. Repent. Believe. Come to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Preaching and Teaching, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. To learn more, visit cbtseminary.org.